0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by one of the men of Moses Lake. We hope that the sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. If you have your Bibles today, please turn with me to Psalm 46. And tonight's message... uh, I would hope would be an encouragement to you, uh, as it's been to me in studying and uh, in learning more about this awesome uh, portion of Scripture. And uh, if you've been in church for any length of time, or if maybe you've gone to uh, a Christian bookstore at any point in your life, you've probably seen one verse from this chapter. Uh, For some of you, this may be the only uh, verse from this psalm that you know. Uh, And that specific verse is, be still and know that I am God. It's verse 10 in this passage. Um, Hey, Dennis, could you turn down my lapel mic just a little bit? Thank you. For this passage, most of us know uh, the little coffee cup portion uh, of this passage, be still and know. It's a quiet verse. It's it's a pretty nice verse that just makes you feel kind of warm and fuzzy inside. It's oh, I love this cup. I love this truth. I just need to be still. I just need to maybe sit back in my recliner, have you know some coffee or some tea or whatever you like in this cup, and everything's great. But the truth is that Psalm 46 is such a dynamic and incredible passage of Scripture. And sometimes we do ourselves a disservice by just taking this one phrase, be still and know, out of the rest of uh, this psalm. And uh, if you have your Bibles and you're there, uh, we're going to kind of be going through uh, expository or we're going to be going through it verse by verse, kind of looking at some of the different words and some of the different things that the psalm says. But the psalm starts off with an inscription on the top. This would be, uh, for those of you that maybe know something about music or something on sheet music, this would be in our music today where you might have a marking that says maybe how fast the song is supposed to be sung. Uh, it can be allegro, meaning very fast. It could be and Dante, which is a little bit more mild. Uh, it could be uh, a marking for Uh, the volume of the song. It could be fortissimo, very, very loud, or it could be piano, very quiet. So this is, uh, in Hebrew, kind of some of the instructions uh, that the songwriter is giving for this particular song. And he says here, to the chief musician for the sons of Korah, a song upon Alamoth. And the chief musician there, you can maybe think choir director, you can think maybe a music pastor, think, okay, I'm writing this song, this is supposed to go to Micah Bosworth, And it's for the Sons of Chorus. So he says, hey, chief music director, chief choir director, I want you to give this to this specific music group. And here's how it's supposed to be done. A song upon Alamoth. And that word Alamoth is a Hebrew word meaning uh, virgins or women. Uh, Just kind of this high and haunting sound is what the songwriter is going for. So right at the beginning, he lets uh, the singers, he lets the musicians know This isn't just maybe a a happy-go-lucky song. This isn't just, oh, victory in Jesus. It's not necessarily a peppy song. This is something that's high. It's something that's awesome. It's something that's haunting and full of dread. Now, that doesn't sound like the normal coffee cup we think of. Be still and know. But he starts in with this. The first thing we're going to see today with this psalm is three specific aspects of knowing God or three benefits of knowing God. And the first of these that we learn from this passage is first the stability of knowing God. We can see this starting in verse number one. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Here you have the word refuge that means it's a place of shelter from the storm. So maybe there would be uh, a crazy storm that's coming uh, during that time to those people and they would maybe find a cave that they would be able to take shelter in. It might be uh, maybe a forest or some trees that they were able to take refuge under. He says God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Uh, That word there, a very present help, it literally means when trouble's there, God is there. And that's an encouragement to me, that it's not that when I come to trouble, I have to wait for God to eventually show up, but that as soon as I'm in trouble, God's already there. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit living inside of me, and if you're thankful for that as well, let that influence your mind when you come to hard times, that when troubles come, realize who's living in you and who is always with you. God is a very present help in trouble. He goes on with this and he says, therefore, will not we fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea? So the songwriter starts off, God is our refuge and strength. He's the one I can take shelter in. He's the one who is my help. So because of that, I'm not going to fear. And then here in verses two and three, he gives uh, some different maybe uh Hyperbolic examples of, okay, even if this terrible thing happened, even if this, the worst of the worst happened, I will still not fear. And the first one he says of this is, though the earth be removed. Uh, That word removed is to be rid of or to be disposed of. Literally, if the ground gives way. Next he says, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Uh, The word carried there meaning shaken, tossed, or quaked like an earthquake. He says... If the earth starts to shake and falls into the sea, in verse three, he says, though the waters thereof that the mountains fall into start to roar or to foam or to boil, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. He says, if the worst natural disaster happens, I will not fear because God is my refuge and God is my strength. And then he says here a word that I love in the Psalms. It's selah. That word means suspension of music that is to literally pause and to lift up or to exalt. So he says, hey, here's verses one through three here of this psalm. He says, God is a refuge in strength. I can trust in him. Even if the worst natural disasters happen, even if calamity occurs, I'm not going to fear because God is my help. And then he says, stop and think about that. You see, this is so different than uh, even in this time what the gods of the people around them were supposed to do. It was if you made enough sacrifices, if you worshipped hard enough for some of the gods, it was even if you cut yourself and, and gave your blood for these gods, then they would listen to you. But instead... Instead of trying to appease the elements or instead of trying to get the elements to do what you wanted, as these people did, they worshipped the gods of harvest, they worshipped the gods of fertility, they worshipped the gods of the storms, hoping to appease them and hoping to get all of the elements and all of life to do what they wanted it to. Now it's reversed. That now even if all of the elements, even if everything in life came at a person, they weren't saying, the gods have turned against me It's I know God is with me even when all of life is against me. And can I encourage you from verse number one with a very present help in trouble that we know if we're in trouble that God is with us. That he's present in trouble. It doesn't say God is our refuge and strength, a very present help, so we'll never be in trouble. But when we are in trouble, when we feel that panic, when there is that fear, we can instead of letting that overtake us, let that encompass us. Instead, say, no, God is the one I run to in these times. It's not my own strength. It's not, oh, I can get through this. It's, God, I'm relying on you. So we see first here the stability of knowing God, that even in everything in life comes at us, we can be stable because we know who God is. Nextly in the passage, we see the safety of knowing God. And we see this in verse number four. He says, there is a river... The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. Here in River, uh, one commentator said, he alludes to the brook Kidron and its two streams that flowed from it, Gihon and Saloa, whose waters went softly by Jerusalem and being small and contemptible or still and gentle, are not unfitly opposed to the vast and unruly waters of the sea. So here you have the raging, boiling waters that were mentioned in verses 2 and 3 contrasted with little rivers that ran alongside Jerusalem, alongside the city of God. And here you have the contrast of those that are not following God, those that aren't trusting in God, and those that are. We'll see a little bit later why this particular river is mentioned in this passage. But in verse number 5, he says, God is in the midst of her she shall not be moved, God shall help her, and that right early. When it says in the midst of her, it literally means in the center, in the core of her. It says she shall not be moved. Uh, That word shall not literally means to fail at. So she will fail to be moved. And can I tell you, whenever something comes at you in your Christian life, whenever maybe there's a sin that wants to, beset you whenever there's a sin that wants to take over your mind or take over your life that as you're relying and as you're trusting on God as you're relying on him in faith it will fail to move you in your Christian life I love the fact that we're no longer bound to sin as we once were but as uh, Paul talks about in Romans 6 that now we're free to be the servants of righteousness we're, lo- we're no longer slaves or servants to our sins and our passions And I also love this word help here. It means to surround, to protect, or to aid. That God is an ever-present, roundabout help to us in our lives. Contrasting the security and the safety of this, then in verse 6, the songwriter states, the heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. Here you have heathen. It doesn't necessarily in this case mean uh, unbelievers, though it would include that, but here it it means nations or people. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. That word uh, for rage is the same word uh, as earlier in verse uh, number three where it says the waters there have roar. He says the waters that are tumultuous and boiling, those roar and Uh, the heathen that are raging. It's that same thought of just like this tumultuous sea that everything is going terribly for it in this natural calamity. This is the same exact state that the people and the nations of the world are in. This is the same boat. Uh, In verse 6 as well, the word moved there is that same word as carried from verse 2, to be shaken, to be tossed, to be quaked. So he says the heathen, uh, they're like that boiling sea that's having all this tumult. Uh, The kingdoms of the earth are shaken. And we can see this all throughout history, uh, that though at times there was a nation that uh, maybe conquered a lot of land, conquered a lot of other nations, and they thought, man, we're invincible All of the nations, all of the strongest powers of the world are nothing compared to our God. The word there, he uttered his voice. It literally means he gave the word and the earth melted. Everything that we think is so mighty and so set against us in the world can be taken away in an instant by our Father. To this then, he says in verse number seven, the Lord of hosts is with us. Here, when it says Lord of hosts, that word Lord there in all caps is the name Jehovah. This was the most holy name of God in the Old Testament, meaning the self-existing one or the one in need of nothing. Uh, It's the name that uh, God told Moses when Moses said, you're telling me to go back to Egypt, but who should I say sent me to free the children of Israel? And God told him there, I am that I am. That's that word Jehovah. It means Whatever is needed in life, I am. To whatever difficulty comes at you, I am sufficient. He says the Lord of hosts. Uh, Hosts there is armies. It's not talking about hostess Twinkies. It's not talking about a host somewhere like that. But it's the Lord, the God of armies is with us. And uh, I love in this verse, I, I know the verse itself doesn't necessarily say God is with us. But taking that same thought of the Lord of hosts, who is God, God with us, reminds me of a season that we have coming up next month with uh, Christmas time, and we're reminded once again of Emmanuel, God with us. And here for the children of Israel, they didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them as we do today as the church, and uh, they didn't have necessarily that ever-guiding Holy Spirit inside of them, but now we have that. And now looking back at this psalm, we can even say, hey, I know I'm not a nation of Jews, but I am a child of God. And because of that, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. The Lord of hosts, God, is with us. And then he says here, the God of Jacob is our refuge. And it uh, kind of caught my attention at first that he says the God of Jacob Uh, For a lot of people, you know, it's the God of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That phrase is used a lot in scripture of uh, the three patriarchs that uh, were able to see God do some incredible things in their life and who God uh, supernaturally led uh, to the nation of Israel and started it through them. But I was reminded of who Jacob was and what he did. The God of Jacob is the God who forgave a liar, a cheat, a trickster, and who made of that sinful, insufficient man, Jacob, the nation that would bring the written word of God to the world and the eternal word of God, Jesus, to the world. The same one who took this man who all through his life tried to scheme and to cheat to get whatever he wanted, that Jacob, God took him, And made of him a great nation that would be a blessing to all peoples in the earth through Jesus. And if he can do that with Jacob, imagine what he can do in your life. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of, you can even insert your name there. Because it's true. The Lord of hosts is with us. The one who commands the armies of heaven is with us. The God of Brian, the God I worship and the God I read about and the God I can pray to is our refuge. This word refuge here meaning a high tower, a cliff, a retreat, a stronghold, something that cannot be taken. You see, we don't need to fear the worst circumstances of life. We don't need to fear uh, the rage of the heathen and and the kingdoms being moved and shaken because of who is our refuge. Not only do we see the stability of knowing God, that knowing whatever comes at us, God is our refuge, and the safety of knowing God, knowing that at any point He can stop it. And can I tell you, the, the only reason God won't stop maybe a trial or a trouble in your life right now is because you have not yet seen you have not yet seen the full goodness of God to you in that area and God hasn't gotten all the glory out of it, that he will. You see, in Romans 8, 28, if you want to turn there very, very quickly, Romans chapter 8 in its totality is a great uh, passage to read uh, if you're downhearted, if you're struggling maybe with your Christian walk and maybe who you are in Jesus and maybe struggling with a hard time. Romans 8 is a great passage for this. He says in verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. There you can see in that verse that all of the things that come, all things, he says, work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So we know that whatever comes at us in life is for two reasons. For our good, according to Romans 8, 28, and for God's glory. So if you're going through a rough time and you say, God, I'm really ready for this to be done, know that God is still working it for your good and God is still working it for your glory. Now, something that's good for us doesn't always appear to be good. Uh, Maybe uh, Lena, maybe there might be some vegetables that don't taste very good. There might be some things for you that, uh, I don't know, do you like Brussels sprouts? Broccoli? Spinach? Are there any vegetables you don't like? And let me ask Miss Judy, are there any vegetables you don't like? Okay, which vegetable don't you like? There you go, Brussels sprouts. And uh, growing up, I heard songs about uh, ranting against how uh, nasty liver tasted and how nasty broccoli tasted. And uh, those are things that are good for us and that uh, help provide nutrients for us, but they don't taste very good. And kind of in a much more serious light, there are some things in life that do not taste good, that we don't see how God can change the the brokenness and the hurt and the pain that's there. We don't understand how we can change that into something beautiful. But as we looked at in in verse number 7, the God of Jacob, the God of the liars and the cheats and the tricksters is the one that turns our brokenness into beauty. Next, not only do we see the stability of knowing God and the safety of knowing God, but we see the stillness of knowing God. He says here in verse number eight, come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. Now we're gonna look uh, in Uh, just a little bit of why the songwriter says this particular phrase, in fact, why he wrote this entire psalm. But for the moment, that word behold means to gaze at. It's mentally to perceive, it's to contemplate, it's to think about what you're looking at. He says, Come, look at and perceive the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. That word in the Hebrew means a waste, a horror, and an appallment. It's something that is incredible to look at. It's something that's, um, the, the older word for it would be awesome. Now we say everything's awesome. But it truly is full of awe. We look at it, and it's incredible and amazing. He says, come behold the works of the Lord. Then he goes on to say some of the, Works of the Lord. He maketh wars to cease unto the ends of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot with fire. Here you have the sovereignty of God addressed again. That a lot of times we might say, Man, Ronald Reagan did a great job in ending the Cold War. Or we might say, Man, I'm so thankful so and so brought peace to this region. But in reality, it's God that's sovereignly working everything according to his will. Uh, As the book of Proverbs says, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it about whithersoever he will. Nothing that happens catches God by surprise. Nothing that happens uh, maybe knocks him off his feet and goes, whoa, what just happened? And that provides some security. That provides some stability And some stillness for us that we would have enough respect and awe of God to say, hey, Lord, I don't know maybe why this thing's happening in the world right now. I don't know why this thing's happening uh, maybe in our state government, maybe even just in our city government. I don't understand why some of this is happening. But we can say, hey, God, I'm going to trust in you. I love uh, the book of Romans and uh, deals a lot with some theology things and salvation things, but towards uh, maybe the latter few chapters of that book, it talks specifically about uh, the Christians' reaction to uh, government and to rulers, and the Romans at that time had to deal with the Roman Emperor Nero. Uh, who was a very, very wicked man. Uh, He was the one that burned down the city of Rome and uh, had Christians literally lit on fire to uh, light garden parties for the Romans. Uh, He was just a very, very, very wicked man. But it's to those Christians that Paul said, hey, you need to submit to them as unto God. And sometimes that can be really hard for us to take. We say, man, that's a really ungodly person. That's a really ungodly leader, but for us to simply submit, to do what's right, remembering in the, uh, in the book of Acts when the apostles said, we ought to obey God rather than man. But as we're walking in our Christian faith, that we're not the ones that are maybe rabble rousers. We're not ones that are uh, maybe attacking government or anything like that. But that we would say, hey, we know God's in control. We're going to do our part. We're going to do what's right. But we're going to leave everything else up to our sovereign God, the one who makes wars to cease. Then we come to this verse that we're uh, more familiar with from this passage. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. So this God, the one who's a refuge from uh, all of the greatest natural disasters, this God who can instantly stop the wars and the ragings and the fightings of the heathen and the kingdoms, he says, be still. And know that I am God. This word here, be still, is the Hebrew word rafa. It means to sink, to, to relax, to sink down, to let drop. Uh, another, um, another synonym of this would be to be disheartened, also meaning to empty. He says here, be still and know that I am God. It's literally step back and empty yourself of the thoughts that maybe you had about your fears. It's to step back and to empty yourself of maybe whatever gods you had been holding on to except for the God of the Bible. Maybe it had been, oh, I've been trusting in uh, my financial status in order to to get me through the hard times. It might be, I've been holding on to my family as my source of joy. It might be, man, I've been been holding on to this sin as kind of my, my cage. This is who I am. And God says, Be still. Empty yourself of all of this and know. The word yada there is to know experientially, to know deeply, to know intimately and completely. He says, Empty yourself of what you have thought and know by experience that I am God. He says, I will be exalted among the heathen, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. To all of this then, the songwriter ends in verse number 11 by saying, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. So here you have kind of these three times that they say Selah. It's the worst of natural disasters. God is greater than, we don't have to fear. Stop, think about it. Next, it was the portion that said, those that rest in God are like this river that goes by Jerusalem while the heathen rage and the kingdoms are moved. But God spoke and it melted. And he says, Selah, stop, think about it. And then this last portion of, see how our sovereign God can do whatever he desires to do. How incredible he is. Empty yourself of what you have thought and know God instead. Selah. Now, this is an incredible psalm. It has some incredible thoughts for us. But this psalm really came alive to me when I found the Bible story that it was connected to. When I found out why the songwriter wrote this one. If you will with me, please turn to 2 Kings 19. Now, for those of you somewhat unfamiliar with 2 Kings 19, because just saying the chapter number would have meant nothing to me before the sermon, here you have uh, back in the time when uh, Israel was uh, first a nation and then uh, when it split up into the nations of Israel in the north and Judah in the south and a lot of the kings in the the people of the nation of Israel to the north uh, did not follow God. They made their own gods, and uh, they had pretty much wandered away from any worship of the true God. Then you had the southern nation of Judah, and they had some good kings that followed God and followed God's commands, and they had some kings that uh, did wickedly and worshipped other gods and didn't follow God. 2 Kings 19 is right near the time when the northern kingdom of Israel, God had finally said, there has to be justice for the sin that you've been committing. There has to finally be an end to all of the terrible things that you guys are doing as a nation. There has to be justice. And so to that end, God allowed the kingdom of Assyria to come and to destroy the nation and to take away many of the children of Israel that were staying in the northern kingdom into captivity. Right after the king of Assyria and his armies had done that, they then decided, hey, you know what? We're right near another nation. There's another capital. There's plenty of uh, gold. There's plenty of things to uh, plunder, as I guess Assyrians do. And so they went down to the southern kingdom, and they decided that they were going to try and take over the city. I'm not going to read uh, the whole passage for sake of time uh, because it's a fairly large Passage, but the short of it is the Assyrians went into Judah, they began to take out some of the cities, and a lot of the people of Judah fled into the capital city of Jerusalem and they prepared for a siege. After this, the Assyrian armies started going towards Jerusalem and kind of encamped against it. They were ready for a siege as well. Uh, One of the downsides of the capital uh, of Jerusalem is that at that point, There were no uh, streams directly into the city. There were some rivers that went by the city, as the one that's mentioned in Psalm 46. But there, there was not any uh, natural water flow directly into the city itself. So they had maybe a few days worth of provisions, but they weren't going to last very long in a siege. So to this, the announcer, the herald for uh, the armies of Assyria, said, "Hey." What makes you think you can win this fight? He says, We have conquered every nation and destroyed every God that we've come against so far. He says, Don't let King Hezekiah fool you into thinking that your God and your people will be the ones that defeat Assyria. You guys aren't going to escape. And to this, then, Hezekiah prayed. To God. In verse number 14, if you're there in 2 Kings 19, it says, And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, therefore have they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, the God, and thou only. God has a response then in verse number 32. He says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord, for I will defend this city, to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. So God says, the Assyrians are not going to be victorious. They boasted themselves against it. They said, we're going to destroy the God of Judah just as we destroyed all of the other gods, just as we've destroyed all of these other nations. We're going to destroy this nation. They blasphemed against God. And so God said, for my sake, and for my servant David's sake, the Assyrians will not defeat you. Says then in verse number 35, it came to pass that night, that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. I love some of the details of this story. One, that it was the angel of the Lord. Not the angels of the Lord, not maybe the armies of the angels of the Lord, you know, I, I wouldn't take a person versus an angel in pretty much any fight, but if there was an army of angels, I would think that they could do some great damage. I would think they'd be pretty successful. But it wasn't the armies of the angels that went out. It was the angel of the Lord. It says there was in the, they smote of the camp of the Assyrians, or they killed, an 100, fourscore, and 5,000. Does anyone know? Uh, it's a little bit older of a term. Does anyone know what a score is there in fourscore? 20. So you have 100, fourscore, or 80, and 5,000. So in 180 and 5,000. says, And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. To this massive army that had come out against Israel, or here in this case, Judah, to this massive army that had destroyed everyone else in their path, they all were destroyed by one angel in one night. Can you imagine being one of uh, one of the Jews that were in Jerusalem that day that went out early in the morning? The day before, what you had heard being shouted up from this massive army outside of the gates of Jerusalem was, don't let Hezekiah fool you. The Lord can't save you. We've destroyed every other God. We'll destroy Jehovah too. Maybe you went to sleep fearful. Maybe you went to sleep going, man, Israel to the north was just destroyed. What if we're next? I know this prophet said that God has said this city won't be destroyed, but there were some false prophets in Israel to the north that had said that Israel wouldn't be destroyed. And those prophets were wrong. What if this prophet's wrong? Maybe you sleep fitfully through the night and you wake up exit the door going, man, is, is this the day that it all ends? We don't have much water. Maybe you cautiously walk up the steps onto uh, maybe the city wall, you know, kind of being careful. You don't want an archer to get you, because that'd, that'd be bad. <laughs> but you're going up the steps, and all of a sudden, all along this giant valley, where there had been tents and where there had been banners and when there had been the raucous carousing of men that were sure that they were going to plunder. Dead silence. 185,000 dead soldiers laying wherever they were when the angel took them. Looking out on this field, knowing that God had saved you. God had kept his word. God was the one that won the victory. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will we not fear? Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. say. Maybe you want a closer look. You wonder what happened. So you, you run down the steps of the city wall. You exit through the gates. And you walk out. And you see Red. but you see some of it being washed away by a simple stream that's flowing outside of the city gates. You say, there is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early, that phrase there meaning at the earliest moment of dawn. He says the heathen raged and the kingdom's were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. You step back and just see the enormity of the situation, how big the camp was that they had built for themselves. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the ends of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still. Emptied. Astonished at our God. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen, among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. This passage and, and the biblical account behind it definitely ruined the, the coffee cups for me. <laughs> but what an incredible verse. What an incredible truth we find in this passage that we know that whatever comes against us, we have a holy and a righteous and a just God who is our refuge. He's the one we can take shelter and safety in. That we know when the armies do surround us, when we're going through a siege, that he's doing it all for our good and for his glory. And we know that in an instant, in a night, whenever he deems it best, he will have the victory. So then for us, the challenge is, Back in verse number 10. Are we doing this? Are we being still? Are we emptying ourselves of our fears, of our thoughts, of our things that we've exalted against God? And are we simply saying, God, I know who you are because of your word. You're the God that died for me. You're the God that created the entire world. You're the God that can do anything. And I know who you are. Can I encourage you? A lot of this message as I was studying was just kind of a reoccurring slap in the face. Uh, obviously, having our car stolen a week and a half ago, it's not fun at all. But probably since that time, it's been really hard to go to sleep at night. It's just, okay, man, I wonder, is something going to happen again? I'm really nervous just literally tense all the time, and as I read through this passage and realized who my God is and how I've allowed the fears in my life to occupy my mind, to affect me, instead of saying, hey, even if something does happen again, I know God's in control. I know God will make it right, and I know whatever happens is for my good and for his glory. It's not, it might be for my good, but it'll definitely be for his glory. But every time, Romans 8.28, all things work together for good. And I know in my heart this was something that I just had to give to God and say, God, I'm emptying myself of, of my supposed knowledge of, hey, I know, I know that this could happen again, or I know that uh, there is this possibility, but I'm saying I'm going to empty myself of what I think I know. I'm going to empty myself of, is God a fear that I'm holding on to, hoping, okay, if I'm afraid or if I'm awake during this time, then nothing bad will happen. But letting go of it and saying, God, I trust you. I know who you are. I know what your goals for me are. And so I'm going to be still and know that you are God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that this sermon was an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. If you have any questions about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.